1: Uh, hi, it's uh, Sean here. You may know me from Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. And before we start the show today, just putting feelers out there, if you're a business owner or you know someone who's got a business, then we are looking for a sponsor of the show to reach thousands of Bournemouth fans that tune in each week to this podcast. So if you're interested or you know someone who's interested, please just drop us a line, fans at afcbpodcast.com. Uh, that'd be great. Just help us keep the show on the air. Cheers. And then beyond Walker. Yeah. Hugh. Hello, you fantastic Cherries
2: fan, you. And my, what impeccable taste in podcasts you have. Indeed you do, as you are tuned into Back of the Net, the ASC Bournemouth podcast with him, Sean Barker. And him, Sam Davis. So this week, I'm donning the Cream kit, the Focal Point Fires third kit that we had about six or seven seasons ago. I think I wore it on episode three, but it's one of my favourites. For me,
1: it's the blue away kit as that was what Callum Wilson was wearing when he scored his Premier League hat trick, what he wore this weekend when he returned from injury and what we all wore when we became officially safe from relegation. Can we say
2: officially? Well, anyway, we've got a great assortment of cherry related stuff for you this week. So coming up on the show. We play your fan thoughts following our 2-1 victory at Villa Park, and then we discuss the game in a little bit more detail. Sam
1: jumps in recklessly two-footed into the online world of AFCB across social
2: media to bring you his weekly review. And Club News this week sees yet another amazing pun headline. Hang on a minute, Sean, did you write this script? Anyway, we'll decide how good it was, so stay tuned for that. The Do You Remember quiz is a toughie this week, so get that brain engaged early. Mm. And over the last few weeks, Sean maxed out the the back-of-the-neck credit card as he travelled around the world to talk to Cherry's fans from places such as the Czech Republic, the USA and even Brazil to bring you this week's feature, which explains what life is like as an overseas Cherry supporter. Yeah, sorry about that, Sam. It it was okay to put duty-free on the credit card too, right? (laughs)
1: we'll see what accountant says about that eh? Sam it's fine it's fine tax dodging
2: it's all the rage at the moment hey Mr Cameron (laughs) and in less politically motivated news John Sharkey is this week's supporter profile and then we wrap up the show by previewing the upcoming Premier League game against Liverpool so here we go please keep your arms inside the ride and make sure the buckle is securely fastened as we begin the show with your fan thoughts from the Villa game but first here's a summary From 5Live's Pat Murphy.
3: It's Villa 1, Bournemouth 2. The Villa supporters and players absolutely ecstatic as they celebrate in front of each other. In contrast, Villa players have slunk off the field. Eighth successive defeat. I think we could call that relegation form. Cook and King put Bournemouth uh, 2 up. With quarter of an hour to go, they had the deck chairs out really. Are oh, you got a good goal towards the end? But it's meaningless. The villa players as he disappeared couldn't even applaud the fans with positivity. Just a sort of desolate effort, a PR gesture that went very limp. Villa one, Bournemouth two.
4: Hey guys, it's your favorite Cherries fan from Florida, Chase. Um, the Villa result, obviously very welcome. Three points is always welcome. Um, did see the, the the attack was kind of toothless today without uh, a Fobe or uh, having Adam Smith, um, not having uh, Harry arter in the middle. Um, but it was good to see Callum Wilson come on at the end. And I can now I think we can all say for sure that the Cherries are safe. Get over 40 points. I think we already kind of thought that. But amazing to see. Bournemouth and eleventh right now. I think if you were to ask anybody, even the most staunch staunchest of uh Cherries fans at the beginning of the season that this team could finish anywhere close to the top ten or even come close uh to uh to, to being where they are now, i probably uh nobody would tell you, or they're lying. Um, so great to see that. I mean, and we can dream, right? We can dream about them hitting the top ten the they're not too far away. I know a few of the teams around them haven't played as many games as they have, but it won't be easy. Um, obviously, you got teams like Liverpool and Everton and Chelsea, um, the West Brom fixture. Um, I think we could probably win that one. And um, I think Man United, even at Old Trafford, we could probably uh, win that game as well. So you never know.
0: Hi, this is Kerry from Bournemouth. We've just watched the... AFC Bournemouth um, Aston Villa game at Villa Park from sunny Tenerife in an Irish bar where they were showing lots of football um, absolutely thrilled with the result another three points that's brilliant now on 41 points happy as can be um, really chuffed to see Callum Wilson back playing as well albeit for a few minutes but nevertheless really thrilled to see him back
4: up the cherries. Uh, it's exciting to see uh, the team where they are now. Five games left. We can always dream about uh, maybe a Europa League spot. But uh, great to see the win today. Um, sad to see Villa go down. I think their fans are uh, what every fan, you know, every fan should be. Um, just a night and day comparison to, to them in Newcastle. Their Villa fans, you saw earlier in the game. You know, they're chanting repeatedly and trying to get the side into it even though they know the relegation for their club is uh is inevitable and imminent um they still have a lot of fight in them and and the fans are you know a testament to to uh to the club and i thought that was uh sad to see that a team like villa is going down but they've just been uh they've been pretty bad this year that's all uh great to see the win and glad to see the boys uh back to winning form after a pair of a pair of losses that were rough to see but uh we're looking forward to uh, higher uh, higher aspirations and higher dreams thanks guys
2: And a big thank you to Chase and Kerry for providing their fans' thoughts. Well, Aston Villa are all but relegated after a defeat by Bournemouth. They're eighth in a row and it's left them 15 points from safety with five games left. Steve Cook's close-range finish set the visitors on their way before Joshua King scored after a defensive mix-up. There was Jordan Ayu who reduced the deficit with that powerful shot beyond Boric Villa now. They need to win their remaining five games to have any chance of staying up, but they could be down next weekend. Bournemouth, meanwhile, are on 41 points. And just as Sean just said now, we're officially safe. So, Sean, can we say officially? I reckon so. I mean... Eddie
1: almost said it. And if you saw him at the end of the game, he seemed pretty pumped as he was on the pitch, walking over to the fans and the players have mentioned this, you know, getting over 40 points. So look, I know you've been saying it for the last four weeks, Sam, but I'm
2: going to join you now. We are safe. I think, I think we are, but, what did you think of the team lineup then? Because, well, we'll talk about a certain introduction of a, of a player that's not been around for a while. But in terms of, say, the starting 11, obviously we knew that Smith picked up an injury uh, in the match against Manchester City. So we even predicted the lineup quite successfully. I think we said that the back four would be as they were. And I did say last week I would prefer Gosling over O'Kane. It seems like Eddie agrees with me. Perhaps he listens to the podcast, Sean. I know, and he listens to you more than he does me. I I thought he might
1: stick with uh, O'Kane, but you're right. Yeah, I was I was glad to see Gosling come back in, and um, I just think he just gives you that good drive going forward with the ball. Like he's pretty positive when he gets on it, and he always looks to try those little one-two. So that was good to see. Great to see Tommy Alphick back. Um just vocally, I think he gives us something, you know, he's just in control of that team. And also Francis back on the right. I think Smith has been amazing this year. And I think we're blessed to have two of the players that can play that position. But the Francis and Richie link up. There were several times during the game where it was just like the old days.
2: It is really weird when you look at the starting lineup. What was it? Nine of the 11 were back from the league one days. uh, You don't really get that in football these days in the Premier League. You know, a lot of the Premier League promoter teams from the championship uh, change quite a lot. But to have that nucleus still there, didn't it make you feel so proud? It it did, yeah, it did. Sam, a tear in my eye. No, it's good. You know these these boys have deserved
1: to be there. And I remember the you know the first game of the season. If we think back to that with Villa, there was there was a lot of talk about oh Eddie's just playing all these guys because they deserve you know their opportunity and they just deserve their big day. You know, but once we get going, they'll all be out and we'll just have all these superstars come in. And you know, I didn't think that was going to be the case, and it wasn't. You know, they they've stepped up, and well, what are we eleventh? So we're doing all right.
2: Yeah, completely agree. So the game started off quite tentatively. Bournemouth uh, dominated as they did. Uh, fairly... Uh, not well they didn't really have a cutting edge early on they just you know played the ball around nicely but then there was quite a golden chance in the fifth minute wasn't there yeah there was and
1: grabben um was the center center of this move it was a great bit of play it went from grabben to sermon sermon played it to gradle gradle did a little back hill back to grabben who was then through and um we do that in our, our football team's training it's that we call it the third man running which is so it's gone from sermon to gradle and then there's the third man who's the the guy who started the move making that run through them uh and then it was a pretty good shot low down right to guzan had it gone in you'd have been pretty disappointed with the goalkeeper uh but still just a really really good move and I actually think Graben played really, really well throughout the whole game. Um, I thought his movement and the the way he gave an option to us, he was on the ball a hell of a lot, dropping deep, picking it up, holding it up, laying it off, but also doing some attacking into play as well. Yeah, I was really impressed with Graben.
2: It's quite interesting. Um, I wasn't at the game this weekend, but I was reading... My Twitter timeline during the game, and there were a few people who disagree with you about Grab and um, saying he, you know, he wasn't worth the seven million and things like this. And I do agree that he did have, you know, some very good interplay.
1: The thing I've got about the money, right? Because this comes up quite a lot. We're in the Premier League, yeah, and there is so much money in this league that. for me, like the fact we're now I know this sounds ridiculous because we're AFC Bournemouth, but the, the fee of seven million is kind of irrelevant. Can I say that? Does it sound too? I don't know. It's just how I feel about it. Like it's we go on about, well, it's seven million. Like it doesn't make any difference. You get so many millions in the Premier League that it's like, well, we needed to sign him whether it was four million or whether it was seven million or kind of 10 million. It it the big numbers now is so meaningless in the Premier League. I don't even consider that. We spent two and a half on Ranty, right? And we've got nothing back from that. And if you stop and think two and a half million pounds, that's a load of money, but we don't even think about it. And, and for me, it was the same with Graben. I could see why Eddie wanted him back. The money we had to pay was kind of irrelevant. And I just think with what we're, the performances we're seeing now, I think he's getting better and better. And I just think he's played a pretty important part for the team.
2: Yeah, and when you think about it, the value of every single one of the players that we've got you know, from League One has just increased along the way as well. Just being in the Premier League alone um, increases the value of every single player. So, yeah, I'd, I don't think it's that much of an issue. I think a lot of the uh, the issues, yeah, there was the mentions of 7 million, but some of the people weren't overly pleased with the way he was playing. But to be honest, as a whole the first half especially didn't really have much of a flow there was no real cutting edge from AFC Bournemouth chances were few and far between i do remember a bicycle kick that kind of i'm not sure if it went off for a goal kick or a throw in but um that was one of the chances of note uh, do you remember seeing that yeah there was um yeah it was a good attempt by
1: king it would have been great if it had gone in but yeah crazy bicycle kick i mean we had some other chances i mean um, charlie daniels had a chance on 10 minutes after some good play that that went wide around 20 minutes in gosling had a really good chance where gradle got the ball there was the obligatory three defenders around him of course he turned as if there was none of them there and um, gosling dragged dragged it wide so we did have some chances and it was it was pretty It was pretty comfortable. It wasn't the best game in the world. They never really looked like they were going to threaten. They're, the crowd, you could tell, were on their back. I mean, Guzan held a cross or a pass back or a, a shot, lame shot or something on about 23 minutes, something like that. And the entire Villa fans cheered it. So it was like, you know, that was kind of set the game up. But what we needed was a goal just to kind of exert our authority. And just when you thought we were all going to go and get our Bovril Steve Cook.
2: Yeah, wasn't that brilliant as well. I mean, it was, uh, we'll talk more about this later in the online review, I'm sure. But uh, it was another short corner, uh, much to a few fans' uh, disappointment. But yeah, one straight off the training ground. Uh, Obviously, it's been compared with Jamie Vardy. But it's great to see Steve Cook getting up there in those positions. And it was a well-rehearsed routine. Uh, You'll probably want to talk about the kind of tactics of it. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of different integral parts of this move that made it all perfect starting with josh king who actually pulled one of the defenders out and gave that space for matt ritchie who was running towards francis yeah what i like about it and this is with the the whole short corner thing is that there's a
1: continuity to a lot of our corners that we do so a lot of them start with the same move so we come in we give the short we lay it back we pump it into the box we come in we play it short we lump it into the box and As a defender, you start seeing that guy going short and it's like, okay, you know, muscle memory kicks in. He's going to lay it back. And then when you vary it, well, as we saw, it just completely fooled them. And that's all it takes. With those kind of moves, you just need one or two players to click off and not be there at the right time. So it goes from Francis to Richie. I think it was, was it Andre Green? I think it was, who was the Villa defender who was marking him, who... You could just see he was just going through the motions of, oh, yeah, Richie's going to play it back. But, of course, he didn't. He did that little back heel, which then put Francis in. And, like, as you said, a great movement in the box. You just need to get Cook free. I mean, were they training on the basis of Steve Cook back heeling it in? Or was it meant to go into his rushing foot that? That could be debatable. I don't know. Cookie loves his wonder goals. But, I mean, yeah, Vardy-esque, um, he took it really, really well. I remember uh, Gianfranco Zola scored one of those uh, against Man United back in, I don't know, 1882 or whenever it was I was watching football.
2: Yeah. Uh, I also want to give credit to Simon Frank. I mean, of course, he took the corner. But the way he angled his run, like, I, thought, I think this was almost part of the plan, it seemed, that when he, he played into Richie, Richie. Then obviously held held the ball for a second, uh, you know, looked back to see where players were, and then Simon Francis sort of angled his run. He kind of looked like he was running out, and then he cuts back in, and then, yeah, of course, he just laid it on to Kirk, who who finished absolutely superbly. And all the commentators were talking about, uh, you know, Jamie Vardy and all those comparisons. So, yeah, 1 0 into half time. The Aston Villa fans were obviously not all that happy, they were getting a booed off at half time. To be fair, if Bournemouth hadn't Scored then, I think our fans would have been extremely disappointed with the half because Phil Watkins, who's a regular listener, he'll probably appreciate this uh, mention of darts. I'm comparing football to darts now, and I apologize. But basically, in a darts match, right, when your opponent is playing really poorly, sometimes it's very difficult to raise your game. And I almost felt like it was one of those first halves where Aston Villa were just so poor that we were, you know, as poor as them. We, You know, we were... A tiddly bit better. Yes, I said tiddly on the podcast. I apologise for that. But we did kick on, though, and the second half was a lot better, wasn't it? Now, the Aston Villa players walked out to some music that you found quite entertaining sean (laughs) well the team has just been booed off they're like 15 16 18 points behind
1: safety and you know no one's turning up and then the pa's guy plays this really kind of massive orchestral music as if here comes our gladiators back onto the field you know and you're expecting a big Russell Crowe, you know, with all his muscles walking out into the arena and and instead it's like you get Joe Pasquale walking out. It just seems so, such a juxtaposition between what what they're expecting and then what they actually got.
2: So in the second half uh, in general, um, it, it kind of mirrored the first a little bit, but there was a bit more intensity with both teams play. Um, obviously, you know, Villa had had a rollicking, careful how I say that, and yeah, you know, Bournemouth seemed to contain it very well. Uh, first point of note, well, there wasn't much. I mean, Mark Pugh came on after 57 minutes, didn't he? He did, and still,
1: uh, I just love still making a nod to Johan Cruyff that was, I think it was about 12 seconds before he pulled off his first Cruyff turn. <laughs> He'll never be forgotten.
2: No, that's right. But yeah, I mean, we had, uh, we did have a few chance. Uh, Matt Ritchie had a left-footed shot from the centre of the box, which was too high. That was assisted by um, Simon Francis. And, you know, Villa, of course, uh, you know, we remember in the first half they had a few shots, but uh, they are few and far between. I'm, uh, I'm sort of, you know, going back through it now and I'm thinking, God, you didn't have that many. But there was a chance where... Kieran Richardson, the ball was flashed across. Uh, goal, and Kieran, I, I don't want really to know how he missed it. I don't know if it went between his legs or in front of him, but he just couldn't get his feet sorted out in the right place, could he? No, he didn't. I mean, it was a brilliant cross in, and it was like, I don't know whether he
1: wanted... I don't think he knew whether to go with his right or his left leg. And, and of course, in that situation, the best thing to do is just get both legs out of the way, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, you know... Uh, It just summed up Aston Villa, didn't it, entirely? Well, maybe that didn't sum it up as much as the second goal that they conceded itself. I mean, do you want to talk us through that? Oh, yeah. So, throwing out wide, Sissoko takes the throw in, I think
1: it was, and then got a little bounce back. Plays it back to Clark. Now, the commentator I was watching, they blamed Sissoko for the pass to Clark, saying it was under-hit. I don't know. For me, it didn't look like it was. It just looked like Clark was just on his heels and just not really engaged in the game. Kind of took a first touch where you could see it was quite heavy. And Josh King jumps in, nips it past him. I thought he was going to get taken down and then we were going to have a red card, but King managed to get over the top. It's then one-on-one with Guzan. Guzan, I think, could have been a bit quicker off his line and I also think he could have been a bit bigger. I think he made it... Pretty easy for for King. I mean, still a great finish as he dinked it over the top. Lescott, again, did Lescott really bust his ass to get back and clear it off the line? Or did he just jog in and watch it drop in? Uh, I don't know. I think you can question defensively. But from our attacking perspective, you give Josh King a sniff like that. Bang. He was in. And
2: great finish. Julian Lescott, I think, was maybe too busy... Thinking about what tweet he could accidentally send later on, of which you know, which 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 of his ten cars is he going to send a tweet off? Maybe maybe he accidentally sent one just as the ball was about to cross the line. (laughs) You never know. But yeah, I mean, I I thought with the pass back itself, it was slightly it was slightly to the side of Clark, and he just wasn't set. And I don't even think he was expecting it. So um, yeah, as you say, Josh King raced in, thought he just I thought he may have overplayed it at first, but no. I mean, what a lovely dink, and just the momentum carried it in. And uh, he even kissed the badge as well. He has come on. I noticed that. Yeah!
1: What a great celebration. Like that guy, like firstly, it was the big knee slide. It's a wet condition, perfect for the knee slide. So he pulled that off. And then, yeah, I noticed that he kissed the badge. Big yeah. fan of badge kissing.
2: Yeah. Um. By the way, uh, I once did this for when we played Sunday football. But, you know, the knee slide and there's that moment where sometimes you might hit a dry patch of grass and then you just oh, end no. up flopping forward on the floor. I love those goal celebrations. Yeah. But thankfully, it was quite <laughs> a, uh, a greasy pitch for Josh. So, yeah, for the rest of the game, it, uh, it generally went Bournemouth's way. But there was that one goal, obviously, that Villa scored um, from IU. Uh, could you really place the blame with anyone for that?
1: Uh, oh, it was a shame to concede, wasn't it? And you could imagine, especially for Elphick, he would have really wanted a clean, clean sheet. Um, Jamie Williams tweeted us last week, didn't he? Talking about players getting in between the lines. This was a kind of a good example of that. AU just drifted in between our midfield and our back four. Tommy didn't want to commit. Did he? So he kind of shadowed him, got turned and then bang. I mean, Boric has got no chance from that kind of distance. So it was a little bit of a shame because I think it would have been nice, the clean sheet for me, elated because I did predict 2-1. So I was I was kissing. I was kissing the badge on that one. No, I wasn't. But um, it was a bit of a shame, although you just even when that goal went in, I didn't feel overly worried. I just never felt like, oh, gosh, we're going to be, you know really on our backs now because I just didn't think Villa had it in them to raise their game
2: that much similar to Newcastle in a way when we went 2 one down I mean they did have a chance but they didn't look like threatening in that you know that game they killed it off and I thought we may do the same but alas it wasn't to be but later on a king left the pitch and then a king came on the pitch oh, oh yeah. good Sammy good I know I've been practicing no Callum Wilson uh wasn't it so good to see him back it was and he got
1: he got at least, what, three minutes standing on the sideline waiting to come on. Because they sh- they showed him ready and he was going to be subbed. And then the ball just didn't go out of play. And great to see him back. And the smile on his face said a lot. And immediately, within like four seconds of being on the pitch, he almost had a big clattering 50-50, didn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... That was scary. That was scary. But you know, I'm I'm so pleased to see him back. Uh, I don't know what he how he's going to feature. I, is it going to be substitute appearances for the next few games, or you know, maybe are we given sort of ten minutes again? I suppose it just you know just depends on the dynamic of the game against Liverpool, really. But um, oh you know, I'd love to see him you know starting a game by the end of the season. But yeah, two one. Gotta say, Grockle free, Dave Gullis. What a pun. His pun was cooking on gas. Cooking. Yes. Do you see what he did there, Sean? That was very, Ge- very
1: good. genius. Genius. Uh, I just applauded when I read that. Great, great pun headline. Thank you.
2: And also uh, Steve Butler, who said cooking brilliant. Now, uh, I, with that headline, does he mean like? No, no, Sam, Sam, no, no. You can't
1: say that on air. <laughs> you can't say that on air. No, no. He, yes, yes, oh. he did. That is exactly what he meant. Thanks.
2: Oh, I think we should move on. So it's a toughie this week you said about do you remember um i'm intrigued i'm intrigued yeah uh
1: it's going to be very very hard if you get this answer and we're going to give you the answer at the end of the show but if you do get it just can you send us a tweet or a facebook message don't say the answer because we don't want to spoil the fun for everyone else but i'm just interested to know genuinely no cheating how many of you can guess who this week's player is of do you remember This player was born on the 30th of July 1975 and made his professional football debut for the Cherries in the 1995 season. He only made three substitute appearances for the club before being released. He didn't play professional football again. He was an unused substitute for the Cherries in the game that Eddie Howe made his debut for the club against Hull City. came from Jersey in the Channel Islands. The story goes apparently that this player contacted the club and may have bigged up his CV somewhat and due to us being low on players and even lower on money, we signed him and put him straight into the side. Alas, after three appearances, it was clear it wasn't going to be. Do you remember? Do you remember? There you go, listener. I promised a toughie for this week's Do You Remember? I think I have delivered. Sam Davis, do you know the answer?
2: Do you remember? Sean Barker, you're like Magnus Magnuson. Uh, you know, posing all those questions. is really difficult this week. Really difficult. Played only three games. I've got a player in mind. I'm probably completely wrong. In fact, I'm certain I'm wrong. But does his first name begin with a D? Uh-uh, incorrect, Sam.
1: <laughs> well... Stay tuned because at the end of the show, we will give you the answer and I will be putting Sam and maybe a fair few of you out of your misery. If you're sat listening now with a smug smile on your face, have a pat on the back if you've got the answer right. Tweet us or Facebook message us. Don't give the answer, but just let me know if you did genuinely get it this week.
2: I'd be really impressed if anyone did and you know I'm a mass I'm the number 1 AFC Bournemouth supporter around right so uh no uh, honestly well done if you have got that but anyway coming up we've got the club news and Sean I'm excited to hear the awesome pun in this week's news headline what is it how takes a bow for now I don't know what you're going to come up with I'm interested to hear
1: yeah, leave it to the professional Sam and very, very soon you will find out what the pun is this week. It will either be awesome or terrible, depending on whether you like them or not. But before we get into the fantastic news, Sam brings us his online review of all things AFCB across the major social media channels.
2: Cherries got back to winning ways on Saturday with a 2-1 win over Aston Villa, which effectively relegated them from the Premier League. Once again, Bournemouth fans online have been very sympathetic with the plight of our Midlands counterparts, and after the final whistle, along with the initial elation of the result, there was almost a surreal sense of shared frustration at Villa Park, with everyone agreeing that it's horrible to see a big club like that go down. However, if anything, they'll now need to rebuild from the top to the very bottom. It's born with fans who have been through points deductions, administrations, bad owners and gargantuan divides between fans and the board and whatnot. We've certainly been there through the tough times to get to where we are now, so we can certainly understand where the Villa fans are coming from. Not so long ago, we had sweary confrontations with chairman outside the stadium, chairman swearing on live radio phone-ins, chairman running onto the pitch looking for confrontations with loyal supporters. Okay, I say chairmen we know who we're talking about. But it's just quite crazy to think that the only things now we can really complain about are defeats to billionaires Manchester City and title chasing Tottenham Hotspur. Apart from injury woes at the start of the season and a few dodgy refereeing decisions here and there, things have got better and better as the season has progressed, not least on Saturday because there was some brilliant news before kick-off as a certain number 13 Callum Wilson was named as a substitute at Villa, much to the mirth of hundreds of cherries fans on twitter gareth davies tweeted my smile is actually as wide as paul harbour Bournemouth till i die tweeted yes tommy and callum let's do this and mikey prodigy tweeted gold machine callum glad you and tommy are back smash the villa however there was one video clip posted from cherries fan ollie who goes under the name of olpm fifa who posted a slow motion montage of callum entering the pitch so let's check this out. We've come a long way from where we began.
0: Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you
5: again. When I see you again.
2: Oh, Ollie, talk about Soppy. Come on, man up. I know the tweet's got about forty-eight retweets and hundreds of likes, but mate, that's a bit too much. I mean Actually I might just watch it again.
5: Come a long way
2: from where we began. Oh I'll tell you all about- Right, enough of that. Oh, love Callum. Sorry, I'm a bit choked up. Oh Anyway, onto the game. <clears throat> and according to the BBC, the match started at 3pm, although you could have been forgiven for thinking it was a 3.45pm kickoff, as the first three quarters of an hour was fairly lifeless, and many Cherries fans on Twitter were getting very frustrated with proceedings. Sam Davis, oh that's me, said, It's not only poor, but it's a horrendous spectacle for anyone who has a passion for football. Robbie Sargent tweeted, this is a dreadful game, we've been so poor, hollow words from the players this past seven days, and Mr Rob tweeted, by all accounts it's fortuitous that I couldn't load a stream. The frustration was evident across the whole stadium, Villa fans for their lack of creativity and Bournemouth fans for their lack of a cutting edge, and quite often on both sides this was being greeted with moans and groans. Just as half time approached, in stoppage time, with a last chance to attack, Bournemouth put together a short corner, much to the criticism of certain individuals who were effing and blinding and generally thinking that they know better than everyone else. So, with this in mind, let's pick up the action with Simon Francis at the corner flag, and thank you to Ellie Farwell, who was recording in the crowd next to a bunch of outspoken fans right next to her, who must have instantly felt very, very silly. Let's play the clip. oh Oh dear talk about a premature actually i won't joke about that we've all done it once hey guys in fact the goal itself was summed up in the space of 50 characters with a tweet from norman king who said this is absolute crap come on afcb oh we've scored So Cookie scored a Vardy-esque goal after a cracking routine from the training ground, which Gordon Strachan and Chris Kamara were absolutely loving on goals on Sunday, Danny Murphy too on Match of the Day was in awe of the set-piece, which resulted in Richie cleverly laying off the ball to Frano, who struck powerfully towards Cook, who with the deftest of touches found the back of the net. Josh, who's Buttons1996 on Twitter said, Cook only scores beautiful goals. Chris Wise, the BBC's commentator, said Cook's goal for AFCB, very similar to Jamie Vardy's finish for England v Germany. Cherry's not their fluent best, but an important time to score. And Ned Payne from The Echo said, Brilliant set-piece move. Outrageous flick from Steve Cook. Fantastic goal. And Sam Forrester tweeted, Cook is the funniest bastard, sometimes gets slagged off and scores overhead kicks and backhills every other week. And as the Spice Girls never sang, one became two, as later on Josh King nipped in and pounced on a defensive mistake to dink home, and this again threw the online hordes into raptures. Caitlin Steele tweeted, When King kissed the badge, it was special. It shows how far this lad has come with Bournemouth and Eddie. North Stan Mark on Vital said, I continue to just be more and more impressed by the bloke, his improvement across the season and how effective a forward he has become. And Tin Pot Club on Vital said he just needs to realise how good he actually is. When you read his interviews, he sounds like he lacks a bit of self-belief. That was probably not helped by some of his previous managers, but Eddie really seems to have converted his raw talent into performances, and I think that there's a lot more to come. And this was one of many messages about the striker, who once again has shown how far he's come, some strong performances which are now being backed up by goals. Now for me, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet, along with Boric, Sermon, Daniels, Francis okay, yeah, I'll stop there. So Villa did score a consolation, and really there was no threat after that. And this led a lot of Cherries fans to praise the long-suffering Brummies for their resilience for what surely has been one of the worst seasons on record for the Premier League ever presence. We won't go overboard talking about Villa, as after all this is an AFCB podcast. However, it was nicely summed up from Tyler Gregory, who tweeted, Seriously gotta feel sorry for those Villa fans. At least they were in some kind of good spirit. Some of the songs today were quality. The Julian Lescott one about his car, certainly being one of them. So, three points in the bag. Premier League safety was confirmed, yet again. And the fans went home very happy. Neil Puttick tweeted, just back from Villa. Happy with three points and Premier League safety. Good to see Callum Wilson back on the pitch. Bournemouth Brazil tweeted, Come a derrota do West Brom. Seguimos a 11... I don't know how to say 11 in Brazilian. Colacho John for 41 points. What a day! We need to get him to record though, surely. And Christian Squibb tweeted, another poor performance by AFCB today but snuck the win. Gosling and King, man of the match. Gradle Wayful again. Great to see Callum Wilson back. And there were also some lovely messages coming in from Villa fans themselves. Dave, Greenkeeper Dave on Twitter, AFCB from an Aston Villa fan, great support today from the Bournemouth fans. Congratulations on staying up. Thanks Dave. And then Andy Savage tweeted, Good luck to AFCB, great away support and played some nice football. We were dirge again, as usual. So, where do we go from here? Well, immediately, Peter Bell, in the style of Eddie Howe, he's the Cherry Chimes guy, is just taking one thing at a time, as one of his paragraphs in his recent article suggests beating Aston Villa was important not just for the points, but because it rebuilt some of the confidence that had been lost in the previous two games, and it gave a bit of momentum back to the side. Now, as the team sits in 11th place, there is every reason for Eddie Howe to be cheerful about how his side has performed over the season. Why should the visits of Liverpool and Chelsea be anything but welcome occasions now for the team to express themselves? But stretching out the timeline a bit, we have another season in the Premier League, of course. Potloads of money coming in and we have a fit Callum Wilson. So here were some of the fans' thoughts. Clark Gwisrold on Twitter said, ''Amazing to think where AFCB would have finished in the league with Callum Wilson fit and 20-plus goals to his name.'' Minty said, ''So, AFCB have broken through the 40-point barrier. It's been an incredible season. No reason why the club can't go from strength to strength.'' And Rio Speedwagon tweeted, Now it's time for AFCB to reward the fans. Free season ticket prices and even bung in a cup game. It's not like they're going to be short of a few bob or two. And Tales from the South End, the rather excellent unofficial website, said, Fear no longer as we go past 40 points and settle at 41 with five games to go. Back in August, we said that AFC Bournemouth would finish on 43 points. Looks like we were wrong. I reckon it's going to be 45 points and 11th. Interesting. Well, we have five games to go and with safety no longer an issue, it's just a case of seeing where we can go from here. So we've got Liverpool, West Brom, Chelsea, Everton, Man United, and in three of the games, we've got the chance to secure our first ever Premier League double. Who's your money on? Have your say by tweeting us at AFCB Podcast or check out our Facebook page and comment away.
1: A-S-E-B club games <laughs> How like some fiery bellies and forked tongues in the changing room. After Steve Cook last week revealed that there had been some player arguments in the changing room after the 4-0 defeat to Man City, Eddie Howe this week told the media, I like the fact that players will show emotion and will have moments of conflict in the dressing room because I think it is really important for the process of evaluating, moving on and learning from it. He wouldn't discuss details of what went on behind closed doors, but did say, We are not on holiday and the players care deeply about what they are doing. We know the season is not over from our perspective, so I think that proves it. He's back, 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 he's back. Callum Wilson is back on the football field. Callum Wilson made his long-awaited return to Premier League action this weekend with a 90-second cameo at the end of the Aston Villa game. Originally, the plan had been that he would play in an under-21 game this coming week with a view to appearing in the Liverpool game next weekend. However, Glenn Murray suffered a last-minute injury which meant there were no strikers on the bench for the game. Callum told the AFCB website... The manager called me in and asked me if I felt ready, and that was like asking a kid if they want sweets. I was raring to go, so I went straight home to get my stuff. And Wilson was quick to thank the supporters following his appearance. It was nice and very touching moment when I came on. The fans were brilliant to me before, during and after the game today. I really want to thank them all for that. Ironically, Wilson's return to action since suffering the knee injury in September also coincided with a Bournemouth player finally overtaking him as top scorer for the season, as Josh King slotted home to take his tally now to six goals. With five games to go, it'll be a race to see who ends up with the golden boot. If you build it, they will come. As announced by the Bournemouth Echo, the club have officially submitted their plans to the council to increase the capacity at Dean Court. If approved, the capacity will increase from the current figure of 11,464 to 14,529 with the building of a permanent self-stand with the corners of that end filled in to join the east and main stands. A design and access statement submitted by developers Tanner and Tilly said the proposal has been carefully designed to ensure the area's character is preserved. When they characters from Teletubbies? Anyway, they said the increase in the capacity of the stadium will not result in significantly adverse traffic, parking or highways impact. The statement said, So friends of Kings Park don't even bother about complaining. Here comes the pun. Fraser will need to nip switch in the bud. (laughs) Ryan Fraser has had any hopes of returning to complete his season-long loan with Ipswich, dashed by the news he has suffered a setback in his recovery from a hamstring injury suffered in January. Ipswich manager Mick McCarthy has told the press that he doesn't think there is any chance of the wee man returning to the club due to an issue with this hamstring. McCarthy said, if I was his manager, I wouldn't be encouraging him to rush back here given he will probably be valuable for them next season. Fraser was having a fantastic season in the Championship prior to the injury and had picked up Player of the Month awards as he impressed as part of the deal that saw Tyrone Ming sign permanently from Ipswich to the Cherries. Club.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Newsreader. And once again, we were treated to a rather sublime pun. Fraser will nip switch in the bud. Sean, how long did it take you to think of that one? That was pretty good, eh? Hey? It came pretty quickly, I've got to be honest. I can bang,
1: bang, bang. They call me shotgun <laughs> pun. That's what they call me around these parts. And uh, thanks to the guys that did submit their match review pun titles to us this week so after the liverpool game i'm looking for some more please you can tweet us at afcb podcast facebook is facebook.com forward slash afcb podcast so you can post it on there or if you're not on either of those you can always email fans at afcb send me your punny headlines
2: and make them better than Sean's. So anyway, this week, Sean gave me the week off, and he's put together this week's feature, which is all about overseas fans. And he's going to take you on a trip around the world, meeting fans from all different time zones. But now, quiet voices, because I think Sean is tucked up in bed.
1: So it's 1.50am here in New Zealand and my alarm has just gone off and I've tiptoed out into the lounge ready for the big game against Aston Villa which kicks off at 2am here. No pre-match pint for me, just the glugging of a couple of cups of tea to wake myself up while attempting to not wake the rest of the house up. And so this is the life of an overseas Cherries fan, and in today's feature we're going to speak to supporters from across the world to tell you what it's like being so far away from your beloved team. Right, let the game begin.
6: Well, that was Lax Clark has been caught out and Villa have been punished again it sums up their season Josh King gets Bournemouth yes get in we are staying
1: up say we are staying up
6: Bournemouth have reached the 40 point mark
1: and it's all over a great result for the boys and awesome to see Wilson back on the pitch right I'm off to bed and we'll be back to talk more once the rest of the house is awake and I can speak at normal volume. That's better. And to celebrate us breaking that 40-point barrier, I'm going to do what a lot of you would have done at the end of the game and now have a beer. this is the phoenix foundation a great kiwi band and as we travel around the world in today's feature we'll be playing local music as we go so since moving from bournemouth to the southern hemisphere eight years ago i'm now used to this regime during the footy season although i do prefer the evening kickoffs in the uk as means i can watch the game at the more civil time of 7 a.m For those games, I'm normally accompanied by the rest of the family and occasionally my mate Mark. He's a fellow Cherries fan here in Wellington who will come round for breakfast and the game when he bothers to get up in time. It has certainly got easier to keep up with the club now we're in the Premier League as every game is televised and also with things like Cherries Player and the great job that Max Fitzgerald and the rest of the media department have done in elevating the communication levels from the club. When we were in the lower leagues, it was like the days before TVs were invented, whereby I'd be curled up on the couch listening to the commentary from the local radio duo of Chris and Willow, just with less actual radio and more laptop internet radio. Having spent seven years needing to explain who AFC Bournemouth are to fellow Kiwi football fans, this year has been noticeably different, as now I get people commenting if I wear a Bournemouth shirt around the city. For example, minutes after the victory against Chelsea, I went for a stroll with my baby around the streets wearing my AFCB jacket and had someone walking up to me who suddenly started applauding and then he shook my hand. He was an Arsenal fan and was elated to see us beat the Blues and then said he now looks out for our results each week and hopes we stay up. And the love of the Cherries is spread wider than you may think, with fans in all sorts of places...
7: My association to AFC Bournemouth is through my dad, who is from Christchurch.
1: This is David from Sweden, explaining why he follows the club due to his family supporter genes.
7: He used to be a regular match-goer in the late 50s and 60s before meeting my mum and moving to Sweden. So we used to come over to see my grandparents, my uncle, uh, who by the way is a main season ticket holder along with his wife.
1: David gets over to see the team when he can, although of course it is tougher now they are in the Premier League.
7: I've seen some, both some pre-season friendlies and uh, good old Division 2 or what is now League 1 uh, games against the likes of Lincoln City, Macclesfield Town and Colchester United. Obviously right uh, it's harder to get uh, to the games now with a point system, which by the way I think is totally correct so that people who have always been there can see the games but it makes it harder for us obviously so um, I, I managed one game this season still and uh, I even managed to grab a photo with King Eddie so good times up to cherries <laughs>
1: Now, you may not have picked Russia as a hotbed for AFC Bournemouth support, but Viktor Vitoshkin fell under the cherry spell after seeing the team play in 2013 on TV versus Millwall. A 5-2 victory, so a good way to start. Viktor began following English football in 2011, and once he adopted the cherries, there was no stopping him. Here's Viktor explaining how he has started contacting fellow fans across Russia.
8: I always try to get uh, acquainted with the fans of Bournemouth in Russia on the internet. It's now constantly in touch with the, uh, 13, uh, 20 fans, with six I knew personally, and try to work together uh, in the pub to watch the games. The big problem in Russia is the distance between the cities, but I hope that the time will come. Uh, when we will gather a good company to come to England.
1: Because it is tricky to get all the fans in one place at one time, Victor has set up his own way of communicating Cherry's news and also has plans to put together a pretty special Russian sign of support for the team. Here's Victor.
8: In everyday life I do translations of news about the club life in Russian coming up uh, with measures to support the Cherries. In plans to ask the people of our public to make photos in their cities of uh, encouragement to burn off, then create a visual map of Russia uh, with marks in which cities have funds.
1: Some overseas fans were formerly UK-based, like myself, and so have had to adjust their way of following the team. Nathan moved to the Czech Republic in 2007, but will still travel back for games when he can, although not always with great timing.
9: Most of my trips back to the UK are planned around some kind of Cherries game. Uh, Usually it works out at about... um, one or two games per season. Uh, The last couple of years, because of our significant rise at the football league and uh, stadium capacity, it's become really quite tricky for me to to get tickets. But prior to that, I recall one particularly memorable occasion Uh, in January 2011. The motivation behind making the trip back to the UK was Eddie Howe's loyalty and rejecting Crystal Palace I was over the moon but if I recall correctly this was announced on the Tuesday and we flew over on the Thursday and I found out at the game that Eddie Howe wasn't actually going to be staying with us. I was really surprised to hear um, mixed emotions in the crowd that some people were shouting Judas at him and I was like why why on earth would you, you shout Judas at somebody that's just rejected rejected Crystal Palace and is showing loyalty to us, and so uh, that was a very, very big shock. I don't want to say that I regretted the trip, I'm, I'm glad that I was, was there to see Eddie Howe off and at least show some appreciation for the, for the uh, fantastic work that he had done up until that time. But uh, it was not the, the, the kind of um, reception that I was expecting. <laughs>
5: Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong Under the shade of a coolabah tree He sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me
1: Rob Frank, who I spent over 10 years stood and sat next to watching the Cherries, left the UK in 2006 to move to Sydney with his wife Ange and two boys Ryan and Kieran, but they've all maintained their ardent support for the lads. Here, Rob describes his regular match routine.
5: So, most of the season, a Saturday 3 pm kickoff is a 2 am kickoff for us. Um, so, Probably on the Saturday evening I'll have watched an A-League game, maybe two. Um, I get to sort of about 10, 11 o'clock and I'm starting to think about team news. um, So I don't really want to go to bed. So it's a question of, is there an early game I can watch? Maybe an early Premier League or Championship game, maybe somewhere from anywhere else in the world. Um, I've sent the boys to bed by this stage to get a couple of hours sleep. And then it's 1am, team news comes out. So that's me... Pretty much done for the next hour, trying to think about the side and the team we've picked. I I can't go to bed before the game because, sadly, I'm still about 12 years old mentally and I'm far too excited. Um, About quarter to two, um, just before the the programme starts, because we get every single game live over here. It's um, upstairs, wake the boys up, give them the team news and settle down in front of the box to wake up most of North West Sydney.
1: After the game, it's not always easy to go straight to bed.
5: Look, sometimes I actually can't go to bed. I mean, it's it's like saying to somebody, walk out of the north stand and you need to be in bed two minutes later. Well, you can't. You've got too much going through your head, either good, bad, indifferent. You're you, you reliving the game, you're rethinking the game. So, again, I'll try and get the boys to go up. Um, not always an easy thing. Sometimes I'll go up, but most of the time, I'll sit there for the, the late kick-off and at some point fall asleep during that, so I might get an hour or two sleep that night. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's Saturday night's nine months of the year, unfortunately. it's live on about two hours' sleep and suffer the consequences on a Sunday afternoon.
1: I then asked Rob to explain what he missed most about match days now he is away from Dean Court.
5: <clears throat> I think it's the camaraderie, being with your mates. Um, you know, like going back... We've been back a couple of times, and I was back last September, last October, I think it was. Um, just being around the, the, the people that you go with week in, week out, you know, people like yourself, I don't even remember when we first really met up, or how, or where, or why, but you just fall into a group of mates that you end up being near at home games, and then chatting to at home games, and then going to the odd away game, and then that's that's your group, um, and then, you know, your, your people that you don't sit with at games, but... The, the guys you know your Gary Chapman's your Dave Stones your 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 Vinnie Goodfields um people that you just know and the faces that you see at away games the familiar faces were well, probably not so much now but when there used to be 150 200 of us um you know it's it's that camaraderie and and the sense of belonging i think you you do miss that
1: While I was working on this feature, I discovered a Bournemouth Twitter account set up for fans in Brazil with lots of tweets in their native tongue with only recognisable words such as Eddie Howe or Matt Ritchie in English. I sent a message to the holder of the account to ask for an interview and after a couple of days got a great reply from Lucas Pedroso dos Santos who lives in Curitiba, Brazil. He explained that he doesn't speak English and it had taken a few hours of Google Translate to decipher my message and for him then to reply. He said he'd love to tell us more but would be best if I emailed questions so then he could sit down, translate write replies and then transfer back to English as an email. In his answers, he explained he started supporting the side in 2013 when they reached the championship. He was randomly watching a game on TV which happened to be our boys and he was drawn to them due to their style of play and the support he could see from our fans in the stadium. He set up the Twitter account at Bournemouth Brazil to find fellow Bournemouth fans and to help spread the word. Football fans in Brazil who he speaks to are often surprised of his support of Bournemouth as they are frequently unaware of the team and in Lucas's words Some act as if I am on a fad, but I know how much I love the club and I do not let it affect me and move on. He watches the games every week through online streams and most games are on around 11am Brazil time but he gets up a lot earlier than that to prepare and post content to the Bournemouth Brazil Twitter page such as team lineups and things like that. His dream is to visit Bournemouth and attend a game at the Vitality Stadium and is currently saving up his money but at the moment the Brazilian currency of Real is not doing so well to the pound so he thinks it may be two years before he can make this trip a reality. there has been much talk over the past season about the cherries increasing exposure to what the cynical business types call the american market in this the final part of today's feature we'll speak to bournemouth fans from across america to find out what drew these guys to follow this little tin pot club of ours as well as discover just how big the game of soccer is in the land of the stars and stripes and we start in the Deep South. Afternoon, Sean. Nate here from South Carolina. Nate's only been a football fan for one year, and here's his answer to my first question.
6: You asked, since I'm a new fan to soccer, why I picked AFC Bournemouth rather than the more glamorous clubs like Manchester United and Arsenal. I'd certainly heard of the the bigger, more glamorous clubs, as you called them. Uh, your Arsenals, your Chelsea's, Liverpool's, uh, the Manchesters. Not really, never really my thing to go for clubs like that. I had to pull up Google and Google the rest of the clubs in the Premier League, and Bournemouth was one of them, obviously. And I, I read their Wikipedia page and really liked really liked uh, what I read there and the story and how it's their first year in the Premier League. And it's, I was planning on it being my first year in the Premier League as well, so I picked them and... Haven't looked back
1: being a fan in the states i wondered how easy it was to keep up to date
6: with the cherries news uh the internet i tell you helps a lot there's no uh no coverage uh tv coverage to speak of, of bournemouth over here um y'all's podcasts are enjoyable i listen to those and amongst several others also lurk around on uh there's a uh, that up the Cherries form or whatnot, that's pretty good for getting everyone's opinion, uh, Bournemouth fans. Over in the UK, it's good for getting their opinions and whatnot.
1: When it comes to match day, Nate has to work to get his team on screen
6: at the pub. You just got to wake up and get your Cherries shirt on and get down to the bar uh, early, usually around 9.30, before all the Arsenal fans get there and turn all the TVs to the Arsenal match. But if you get there early enough, you can get a good TV and a good seat and um, get the Cherries game on and cheer them on.
1: I asked David Cordell in Washington, D.C., a Bournemouth-born and raised fan who moved to America back in 1988, just how popular is football stateside?
3: I think that the Premier League is now becoming the in thing to see. Um, If you are here on a Saturday morning you go to a bar, the bars are full of supporters. Um, And I think that the Premier League in particular has attracted a lot lot of supporters, Um, and to a certain extent also uh, the German leagues and the Spanish leagues. Do I think it will ever rival American football or baseball? Um, That's a hard one. Those sports are so ingrained in the American psyche, But I think it's going to be very difficult for uh, soccer to always be regarded as the number two or number one sport. Um, I certainly think it could rival hockey, um, although hockey has also grown in popularity. But uh, if I had to say, do I think it will ever rival football? I would say probably not, because uh, that is the American sport. Um, Now, of course, if Americans ever won the World Cup and the MLS became a major league, Um, that might change. Um, I definitely think soccer's up there, but I don't think, unfortunately, it's ever going to replace uh, football or basketball as the major sport of the United States.
1: I then asked whether there were any other Cherries fans near David. He also explained what he is doing to help connect fans from across the whole country.
3: We don't have that many supporters here. Um, We only have probably about three or four who um, have come... To, uh, with me to some of the games. Um, most of all, it's me. <laughs> and then, as I said, one or two others. Uh, one of the others, Nick, um, uh, grew up in Bournemouth, and so he's come to a few games. Um, and we've also met a few people uh, when the Cherries came on a preseason tour and training camp last year to Philadelphia, met up with some people there. So there's quite a few Bournemouth fans in the, in the United States. Unfortunately, we're kind of all spread out and uh, it's a little hard to kind of get us all together. But we do have a fan book page, um, uh, Cherry's Fans in the USA. It's on Facebook. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's quite a few of us, and we hope to make it grow in the future. In the USA, was- and of course...
1: We couldn't have a feature about the United States without a word from someone who is fast becoming everyone's favorite American fan, having appeared on Back of the Net several times already to share his fan thoughts.
4: Uh, I'm Chase, I live in Tampa, Florida.
1: Chase has been a football fan for a few years, but only started watching the Premier League this season and was immediately drawn to AFC Bournemouth for a variety of reasons.
4: I love the kits, right? By the way, the red and black that really caught my eye. So that caught my eye uh, for the first thing. But after that, I really didn't know much about Bournemouth. Obviously, as an American, you don't have a lot of exposure to the smaller clubs, and you really you 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 know you know Manchester United and Arsenal and all the big ones. But I really love the underdogs. I love rooting for the underdogs, and you know the baseball team that I root for. We play in a division with the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, and They have so much money and it's so, you know, such a David and Goliath dynamic that I couldn't help but see the similarities between that and and Bournemouth playing, you know, Manchester United and and Arsenal and all these huge clubs with so much money and resources. So that kind of just, you know, that that likened me to them right away. And I, I, you know, I think I picked a winner this year.
1: I asked Chase about the popularity of the game over there, and he agrees with David that it will struggle to compete against the traditional big sports.
4: I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of Americans over here are, you know, a lot of it, uh, you know, football isn't really looked at as much as, you know, the rest of the world because we have so many other, we have uh, American football and basketball and all these other sports. But really, the football uh, over here is followed every four years when the World Cup. You know, comes around. That's usually the, the big time when you know Americans tune in, and it's it's a lot different now. Like MLS has gotten bigger, and a lot of people are tuning into other other leagues, like uh, you know the Spanish league and Liga MX in Mexico. And you know, soccer has definitely come a long way in America. But uh, for a while there, when I was younger, uh, when I used to play when I was a kid, it really wasn't looked upon as a sport that had a lot of future in America. Now it's gotten a lot better and it's definitely blowing up here and uh I, I you know, friends of mine and other people that I talk to, you know, they they watch every morning, every Saturday and Sunday morning and, and they're really into it now and it's I I you know, I, I uh I regret not not uh tuning in earlier than I have this year.
1: So there you have it, a quick whiz around the world... ...and thank you to all the fans that got in touch to take part. While I was still in the UK and going to the Games each week... ...I certainly never thought there'd be people across the world... ...taking an interest in our matches. Well, sometimes it felt like most people in Bournemouth didn't have an interest... ...so times have certainly changed. And so if you are lucky enough to actually attend the Games in person... Spare a thought for those fans around the world who are avidly tuning in, all wishing they could be sat in your seat as they sit in a pub with a breakfast and beer or maybe tiptoeing around the house with a cup of tea. Because we all share one thing in common wherever we are and whatever time it may be. And that's the love of our little team from the south coast of England.
2: Well, Sean, I know you don't like taking praise, but I thought that was an excellent feature. And it was so interesting to hear the thoughts of Cherry's fans around the world. I especially liked hearing about uh, Rob Frank uh, over there in Australia. And he must be absolutely shattered. It sounds like whenever Bournemouth play on the weekend, which is every weekend, obviously, he's he's just got a sleepless Saturday and Sunday. He must be knackered. Yeah, it can be pretty
1: hard work when you're getting up. And then, I mean, I I do get back to bed um, and, yeah, sometimes you are laying there um, for ages. Funny story was at the Charlton game. That wasn't on TV. So there was it wasn't live and you couldn't watch it. So me and my mate Mark, who did bother to get up, uh, we had Gillette Soccer Saturday from, from UK Sky Sports on our TV screen. But it was a pretty dodgy um, quality. And um, we had that on, and then they just said there's a a goal at the Watford game. And then it froze. And and me and Mark were like, ah, because they'd just been saying about how dominant Watford were. So we were like, ah, they scored a goal, whatever. And it froze for like two minutes. And then it came back live, and they'd moved on, and we're talking about something else. And in the top right, there's the scores, but they were super pixelated. And Mark just stood up and went, Hang on a minute. And he went right up to the TV. said a word that we can't say on, on the show was like Wednesday have scored and we had this beautiful delayed two minute reaction <laughs> it was pretty funny but yeah no it was pretty I just, it was really great to speak to all these fans from different parts of the world and you know some of these fans are new to us they're not you know they haven't got the 20 year history that some fans have got and I know some people are like oh you know you're only a true fan if you've been supporting forever long but we all had to start somewhere and the reality is we're a bigger club we're going to get more attention i mean you know the guys like nate and chase in the states they just wouldn't have heard of us otherwise and i think it's brilliant to hear that they're now pushing the red and black flag well the, all the guys are wherever they are across the world
2: yeah amazing to hear we also uh heard a tweet that i tried to read in brazilian earlier on during the online review it's brilliant to see um so many cherries fans just uh well it's growing isn't it it's growing Yeah, it sure is. And uh, welcome to all you Cherries fans that are just
1: just joining us for the ride. You've you've joined at a very, very good time. Now, this week's supporter profile is a little bit closer to home.
0: Supporter profile. Please state your name. John Sharkey. Where do you live? Korf Mullen. First Bournemouth game attended.
10: It was a one-all draw against Stoke in September 1990 and Luther Blissett scoring a penalty in front of the South Stand.
0: Favourite player of all
10: time and why? John Bailey for his tenacious work rate every single game and, of course, for that not insignificant goal at Wembley. Favourite current player and why? Harry Arter. He epitomises everything he can be proud of on and off the pitch.
0: Favourite all-time AFCB
10: game. The Millennium Stadium playoff final win against Lincoln in 2003. Not much can beat the elation of a cup final, joy of promotion and five goals all within the same
0: game. Your greatest Bournemouth goal.
10: Can I be greedy and have three, all by James Hayter, all within 140 seconds?
0: Best moment as a Bournemouth fan.
10: There have been dozens of memorable games, but nothing stands out more than that night at the Winter
0: Gardens. If you could sign any player, past or present, who would it be and why?
10: I do wonder why you say present, but Callum Wilson feels like a new signing and I can't wait to see him banging in the goals again.
0: Your chant of choice.
10: Eddie had a dream. Pure lyrical genius.
0: What league position will we finish in this season?
10: My girlfriend's a season ticket holder at Chelsea, and we're unlikely to get a better chance of finishing above them, so I'm going to say 10th.
2: And a big thank you to Mr. John Sharkey. And John, you may remember, me and him ran Boscombe on the web back in, I think we started it in 1998. One of the first unofficial AFC Bournemouth websites. We were back in, what was it, in the League One. So yeah, the third tier at that point. Maybe it was called something else, I don't know. But we're certainly uh, miles away from where we are now. And well, the next fixture just sums up how far we've come. Sean, we're playing Liverpool at home.
1: We are, and we felt pretty hard done by after the game at Anfield where everything went against us. Elphick's goal was disallowed when it shouldn't have been. Their goal was offside, and it was gutting. But here's chance for revenge, and I think we've come a long way since then. In terms of lineup, a phobe. Still be out. Smith will still be out. Murray had the injury, which meant Wilson came on the bench. So we're not sure whether Murray will be involved, and still not sure whether Hariata is going to be involved or not.
2: No, in in my mind, it's going to be exactly the same eleven as started against Aston Villa. I can see no reason um, to make any changes. Uh, just hope they play with a bit more tempo because Liverpool can obviously destroy us they've uh they've certainly got a goal in them so it's going to be uh, an interesting game sean can i can i ask you your for your prediction now oh my prediction
1: i'm gonna be hopeful and i'm gonna say we're gonna win 3-1 Confident. I reckon we're going to win 3-1. I expect Wilson to come off the bench a little bit earlier. He's going to score. And also, Juan Aturbe. I reckon we'll see him. Now, interesting comments. We had some good feedback from last week's show, the Aturbe conspiracy. Um, Some people agreeing, some people disagreeing as to whether he'll still be around. I'm still sticking to my guns. I think there's more to it than we know. But I expect him to make an appearance at some point. And we're
2: going to win 3-1. Glorious night at Dean Court. I'm sure you've got some insider information. This sounds this sounds very, very interesting. My opinion on the game, if I was to make a prediction, Liverpool have definitely got a goal in them, as I said. I can imagine, I don't know, they've got so much potency up front. Whether it's Origi, whether it's Sturridge, whether it's Coutinho... I'm going to go for 3-2 Bournemouth. It's going to be a classic at the Vitality Stadium.
1: Oh, we've both gone for goals. We've both gone for wins. I think the thing as well, which could come into our favour, is Liverpool on Thursday night are playing the second leg of their Europa League quarter final at home to Borussia Dortmund. So I expect that to be a big battle. Who knows? That could even go to extra time, maybe even penalties. Players are a little bit tired. So I think that will go into our favour. But a lot of goals predicted here from the guys at back of the net.
9: Hi, this is Steve Pershings. You're listening to Back of the Net.
1: And so the lights go up and everyone starts making their way to the exits as we reach the end of another episode.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for listening. And don't forget, you can catch previous episodes of the show by subscribing through your podcast app on your phone or via our website. And that's afcbpodcast.com. Yep, you can also keep up to date and interact with us
1: through social media on Twitter at AFCB Podcast, on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash AFCB Podcast, or you can always email us fans at AFCBpodcast.com. Now, before we go, here's the answer to this week's Do You Remember? drum roll. <laughs> Ali Santos.
2: Oh, man. You know what? I remember him as well. Three games. Three games he played. You know what, Sean? I'll try harder next week.
1: Yeah, thanks, Sam. And if you got it, well done. If you didn't, get those books out. More research needed. So thanks once again for listening. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast.
5: it's coming through the middle recovering challenge from Edwards Game here's Hayter in. he's onside Hater, he's hat got it <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable James Hayter has a three minute hat trick at deep court uh-huh.
9: Podcast Network.